I want to play a game. <laughs> We've got our kids with us, and there's this game that I've played almost every year for the last, I don't know, six or seven years of my life called John's Christmas Catechism. And it's half catechism, half dad jokes. And uh, I thought this year, I'm going to just leave that behind, you know? It's, kinda, it's, it's definitely getting old and kind of dad jokey. But then I thought, hey, we have our kids here. And I think I remember when I was a kid, I liked to play games. Do kids like to play games? Is that still a thing? Okay, well, let's play a game. You guys remember how to play this, right? It's like a quiz show. There's questions, and then you yell out the answer, and if you get the answer right, you get points, right? And since we're playing against our parents today, there's got to be some stakes in it. So I guess if the kids win, you got to buy them ice cream. If the parents win, you guys have to clean the toilets when you go home, okay? Is it a deal? Are we good? Come on. It's for ice cream, guys. Come on. All right. You guys ready? It's a serious game. It's a serious game now. We got to take it serious. All right. Here's the first question. What is Christmas? Yell it out. Just yell it. All right. I don't know if I even heard a single right answer. It's the season that commemorates the birth of our Lord and Savior. Did you guys know that? Christmas is a season. And when does the Christmas season begin? Come on, you yell it out. I want to hear it. It begins with the Feast of the Nativity on the evening of December 24th. How many, we have a lot of Christians here. Are there any Christians here in the room that, uh, man, I love you guys. All right. It's full of dad jokes, but we have to do this every year because, well, you know why. All right. When does Advent begin? Today. Four seasons before the, four, sorry, four Sundays before the Feast of the Nativity. Oh, this is going to be an easy one now. What is the color of Advent? All right, all right, all right. Maybe a little bit harder. Why purple? It's not. Purple represents repentance. It wasn't a question, sorry. All right, here's a question. Why are we repenting? For sins, absolutely. Why are we repenting now? Well, we're repenting because we are preparing for the coming of our Lord. Do you guys know Advent means coming? And I know some people in the season feel like they don't have to repent, like they're just ready. Let's just dive right into Christmas. But I don't know about you guys, but before I meet Jesus, holy God in flesh in the manger, I feel like there's a few things in my life that I might want to straighten out. I might need a little time before I have that holy encounter with the coming Lord to reflect over what's going on in my life. And so the church has a whole season of repentance as we prepare and get ready for the advent of our Lord. All right, one more question. Is there any other color used in Advent? What's the color? Could be on a wreath. It's not pink, friends. It's rose. I don't wear pink vestments, okay? I wear rose-colored vestments, all right? It's my, 
my manly fragility coming out here this morning. Well, if purple represents repentance, what color does rose represent? Or what, what does rose mean? Rose represents joy. On the third Sunday of Advent, we call it Gaudete Sunday, means rejoice Sunday. And why are we rejoicing? Because the Lord is coming soon. We rejoice. We rejoice to meet our Lord as he comes. All right, we take a break from the game show to show our official Advent meme. The meme, we will celebrate the 12 days of Christmas after the four weeks of Advent. So this meme has a little bit of attitude. And I say that just to say we're not snobs here in the church, right? We're not Advent snobs. We're not trying to be critical of our friends and our neighbors that maybe don't understand how the church season works, all right? So we, we receive this information, and we ask the Lord to give us humility. Um, but we know that the best way for us to celebrate Christmas is to really prepare for it. And for us, the thing that really gets us ready is the season of Advent. We can't wait to celebrate those 12 days, but we just need some preparation. And that's what we're doing here today. All right, last two questions. This might be winner takes all, because these ones might be a little bit harder. If we cut out all the chapters of the Bible that mention the birth of Jesus, how much of the Bible would we be missing? How many chapters? Uh, yeah, like three or four. Yeah, three or four, depending on how you count. N.T. Wright says three. I might say four. But yeah, three or four. All right. Now, if we cut out all the chapters of the Bible that mention anything about Advent, so Christ's coming, the final judgment, all that kind of stuff, how much of the Bible would we be missing? Yeah, I think you got it. About half the Old Testament and most of the New Testament, right? It turns out that, I mean, look, I love baby Jesus. I love the birth of Jesus, right? Just as much as the next guy. But the Bible is actually chock full of Advent material. It's so important. It's not just some little side thing for the life of the church. Our scriptures are full of prophecies about the Lord coming the first time and prophecies about what will happen when he comes again. All right. I don't know who won, but we're getting back to the sermon now. You guys ready? Okay, good job. Remember, I the good news of Advent is that there's hope in the night, and we can have true hope as we wait in real darkness. And so for us this morning, I think there are two invitations, if that is true. One is the Advent invitation to acknowledge the darkness, acknowledge that it's real. And then the second invitation is this, to hope in the midst of that darkness, watching and waiting for Christ's return. So let's start there. The Advent invitation to acknowledge the darkness. Fleming Rutledge, an Episcopal priest and one of the most acclaimed preachers in the Anglican tradition, notes that in churches like ours, there will be two groups this morning. The first group walks in and sees the purple candles and hears the readings about sin and judgment and the second coming of Christ and says, oh, good, it's Advent. And then there's a second group of people that will be asking, hey, wait up, where are the Christmas decorations? Why aren't we singing Christmas carols? And it's true. It takes some practice to get used to Advent. But once you do, you will never want to have it any other way. Of course, the world outside is singing, have yourself a merry little Christmas, 
and that is all good and fun. And by the way, friends, full disclosure, I'm gonna go home today, I'm gonna decorate my tree, gonna have Johnny Mathis and Bing Crosby singing in the background, right? Drinking my hot chocolate or whatever else I'm drinking. It's gonna be a merry time. But there is something that happens in here during Advent. It's a different posture in the church and inside of our souls if we will cooperate with the Spirit that prepares us for Christmas in a special way. Rutledge notes, Advent teaches us to delay Christmas in order to experience it truly when it finally comes. Advent is designed to show that the meaning of Christmas is diminished if we are not willing to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. Friends, this morning the church is inviting us to take an inventory and to acknowledge the darkness in and around us. In our reading this morning in Isaiah 64, God's people are living in darkness. The judgment for their sin that is defined by their oppression at the hands of their enemies while their beloved homeland lies in ruin. And they cry out to God, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And if we were looking for one sentence that captures the meaning of Advent, together with both its feel and significance, I think these words from Isaiah 64, 1 would be a great starting place. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. If only you would show up here like you did in the past when you delivered us from our enemies and led us into the promised land. But look at us now. Look how we are suffering. Look how our world lies in darkness. And they lament the absence of light. In verse seven, they say, you have hidden your face from us. It's like the psalm we sang this morning. They are crying out, Restore us, O God, and let your face shine that we may be saved. But God's face is not yet shining. I wonder, what is the darkness in your life? What are the places where you are crying out for God's face to shine? that you might be saved. Maybe there's a situation at your school or maybe in your workplace and it just seems so unfair what's happening and it seems like there is no way forward. As you think of your friends and what they are going through, as you listen to the news on the radio and read your news feeds, do you find yourself saying, Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. God, aren't you going to come down here and do something about this? And friends, these are the kinds of questions that prepare us to welcome the Savior when he comes. Netflix just released a documentary on John Baptiste called American Symphony. If you don't know John Baptiste, he's a really amazing musician, singer, songwriter from New Orleans. So I'm a big fan of him for a lot of reasons. John Baptiste is married to Seleka Juad, a fellow musician. 
And she had survived a battle with cancer in her 20s and then wrote a best-selling book recounting her experience. And in this documentary, in the same week where John Baptiste learns that he has been nominated for 11, I was going to put my hands up, but I don't have 11 fingers, 11 Grammys for his album Freedom, he also finds out in the same week that his uh, wife Suleika's cancer has come back. The same news. The, best, the same week, the best news of his life and the worst news of his life. And the documentary shows Jean-Baptiste being Jean-Baptiste. It shows him performing the happiest songs imaginable, right? In front of enthralled audiences, juxtaposed with the darkness he experiences behind the scenes as his wife is undergoing devastating cancer treatments. He's performing at the Grammys while he's winning Grammys on the big stage as his wife is battling for her life in a hospital bed. It's a beautiful film about two beautiful artists, and you guys should all go home and watch it. It's great. But there is something incredibly Advent about it. To the world, Jean Baptiste looks like he has never been better. But behind the scenes, we see that his greatest moment is tainted with darkness. The gut-wrenching emotions of watching someone you love suffer with cancer. And for me, there are two Jean-Baptiste. The first one is the one that I thought I knew before the documentary, where it looked like everything was good with him. Always dancing, always smiling, always on top of the world. And in the other one, I discovered in the documentary, and this is one who is lying desolate in bed on the phone with his therapist, grasping for hope in the darkness. The first view of John, the Baptist, of John Baptiste is like Christmas without Advent. There's no acknowledged darkness And it isn't clear that John Baptiste even needs a savior. Actually, maybe he is the savior, right? Like, maybe he's the one that's just going to sing me into happiness. But in the real story of John Baptiste, we get a sense that, yes, he leads an incredible life, but also it is tainted by the effects of the fall, disease and suffering. And yes, it's a good story, but it's a story that needs a savior. Advent is inviting us to acknowledge the darkness of this night and also to keep watch and eagerly await the return of Christ, our light, who will come again in glory. And our experience of Christmas is transformed when we come to recognize the deep need in our lives for God to show up, to shine his face, to illuminate the world and drive away sin and injustice. And friends, I don't know about you, but this year I am deeply feeling the need for a Savior to come and shine his light into my darkness. I am socially and globally minded and often focused on systemic issues like poverty and oppression and justice and violence. And so I am in some sense always conscious that our world desperately needs 
a savior. But this year, more than ever, I find myself crying out to God in the midst of my own darkness. This Advent, I find myself crying out, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down here and do something. And this morning, Jesus is wanting to remind me and wanting to remind you to keep watch, to be alert. I am surely coming back. You can't know exactly when I am coming, but do not lose hope. The sun will rise and the darkness will be driven away, never to return. So the first part of the sermon was an invitation to acknowledge the darkness. And the closing part of the sermon is an invitation to true hope in the midst of real darkness. I want to invite you to true hope in the midst of real darkness. Once we have acknowledged the darkness, once we have resisted the temptation to begin the liturgical season in sentimentality and false optimism that is not rooted in the story of the scriptures, then we can turn to the scriptures and ask, is there hope in the midst of darkness? And from our gospel reading today, Jesus says to us, Surely I am coming back. It's like when a master goes on a trip and he leaves his slaves in charge and commands the doorkeeper to keep watch for his return. This morning, Jesus is saying to us, be alert, keep watch, live every moment as if I were about to return. The invitation for us this morning is to put our faith in Jesus, to believe his promise to come again, to punish the ungodly, to heal the nations, to establish justice on earth, and to allow our faith in his promise to transform our present reality so that we might become people who are watching and waiting, hopeful in the night. A good prayer for me this morning is, Jesus, help me to believe you are coming again. Give me genuine faith that produces true hope. Give me such a confidence in your promise to return that I might become a person that is filled with hope In the dark night, God, fill me with hope. I want hope first and foremost for my own sake. I need hope in the darkness, but our hoping isn't only for our benefit. The world is looking for a deep hope. As Mother Beth Menard writes, Our war, our war torn and anxious world seeks not from us a happy denial, but a deep hope that waits and works from the promise of God's arrival and his son from moment to moment. 
Friends, sometimes we can get discouraged by the darkness around us. And the church in every generation is tempted to lose hope that Christ will return. And indeed, he's been gone a really long time. But still, Christ comes to us this morning and says, be alert, keep watch. Don't let the darkness derail your hope. Don't let the darkness distract you from the work I have called you to do. Keep working in the world as if the master could return at any moment. Hope in me through the night. Amen.